Hey guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so much for tuning in. If it's your first time here, hey, my name is Lauren and as you can probably tell, today I am all by myself. Usually when we do these longer episodes once a week, I have a Liam here or some other guest to co-host with me, but today there was just so much going on. We've had so many deadlines to try to meet that I couldn't pull Liam away from his other work. So alas, I am here by my lonesome. I just, I hope that my company is enough for you all and you know what for as long as I've been making videos and doing podcasts I have still yet to master the Jordan Peterson or Stefan Molyneux art of prolonged monologuing but I I shall do my best. Now, we have a lot to talk about today. As per usual, first off, it appears that Western countries, just in general, have uh, surrendered all of our freedoms in light of COVID. There are several stories that happened this past week, which I really need to talk about. Then, a group in a Canadian university has declared they are forming a white student union, which for some reason is wrong, even though there are student union groups for almost every other race. And then finally, YouTube celebrates Thanksgiving by not celebrating Thanksgiving and actually trying to heap some guilt upon those who maybe are without paying the proper amount of respect to, of course, indigenous peoples. All right. So before we get into all of that, though, I do want to give a thank you to our sponsor, Taser. If protecting your family is your number one priority and you want to do it safely, the people at Taser are here for you. They believe that safer self-defense is just better self-defense. Taser's line of non-lethal self-protection devices are small and lightweight enough to carry with you or your glove compartment or purse, yet they are still powerful enough to incapacitate an attacker. Guns aren't necessarily for everyone or every occasion. You you know that we support the Second Amendment on this show, but hey, for situations where you want to protect yourself but would rather not carry a gun for whatever reason, Taser products are safe and easy to use. They use an electrical charge to immobilize attackers for up to 30 seconds, allowing you a time to escape plus, and this is really cool, they send emergency dispatch to your GPS location. Taser devices come loaded with features like laser-assisted targeting and emergency dispatch, which will send response teams to you upon firing. More than, get this, 237,000 lives have been saved with the Taser network of devices, apps, and personnel. Plus, Taser is the number one choice of law enforcement agencies. Super cool to be partnering with them. So protect yourself and your family with Taser's line of smart self-defense products. Taser is available without a permit in most U.S. states, so get the Taser Pulse Plus or Taser Strike Light at taser.com with the promo code Lauren. Save 15% now at taser.com with the promo code Lauren, spelled T-A-S-E-R, dot com with the promo code Lauren so they know that our show is the one that sent you. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. All right, so we're going to be talking about COVID lockdowns. I've said it before and I'll say it again that if you are an immunocompromised person or you have someone like that in your family, I absolutely believe that you should be taking precautions to protect yourself or your loved ones, right? As you would at any time during the year uh, when there was a flu going around or something like that. I'm not saying that we should completely disregard public health concerns, but also when it comes to the way that coronavirus has been handled, I, I think it's safe to say, and I think more and more people are starting to realize is that there has been a huge overreaction, all right? The 
economic costs so far have been devastating for far, far too many people. There are businesses, there are families that will never recover from this. And not only that, but if you look at the number of freedoms that we have surrendered to the government under the guise of protecting ourselves, these are things, these are rights that I doubt we will ever get back or at least not get back safely. Uh, for example, one of those rights that I think is very important that has essentially been erased because of coronavirus is the right to simply operate your own business, just just to be open. Uh, in a lot of places, COVID has meant that places like restaurants cannot operate at all, or perhaps if they can operate, only operate with a lot of restrictions. Uh, gyms and movie theaters are, another, are other industries that have been really hard hit. So we have this story coming out of Toronto, Ontario, which is in Canada. For those of you who don't know, um, there is this restaurant owner who, despite the lockdown measures of where he was living, actually chose to open his restaurant, right? Uh, he was recently arrested and footage of it just went viral all over social media. We have a clip of, of it here. And as you're watching this, just remember this man's supposed crime was merely opening his restaurant. Take a look. So we clearly see a large police presence there, a lot of citizens I think rightfully upset, and again, remember, this man's supposed crime was merely operating his business. So the man's name is Adam Skelly and the restaurant is Adamson Barbecue. So he was actually escorted away in handcuffs as if he were some sort of threat to public safety merely for operating his business. And if you are concerned for him, it looks like there there is a campaign to fundraise money for him. And as the Post Millennial reports, it raised over $100,000 in less than 24 hours. And you know what? There are a lot of people out there who do not support the way this whole pandemic is being handled by the government. But what is so interesting is how few media outlets are reporting it. There have been massive protests against lockdowns in Montreal, in Toronto, all over the United States, even in European countries, which aren't really known for liking freedom. No offense, European friends, but places like the UK, uh, Germany, I've seen Denmark as well. But these don't get talked about a lot. And I think the reason why is that the media is largely the driving force behind these lockdowns. They are the ones who have been really hyping up this pandemic to make it out to be a lot worse than it really is. And I think by reporting on these lockdown protests, people in media realize that those who don't support these lockdowns will understand slowly that, oh, hang on, I'm not the only person that thinks this way. And if there's so many of us who are opposed to this, then why are we doing it? So it's their interest to not talk about this. And, you know, what's even more disturbing disturbing than the government trying these, I guess, heavy-handed measures of control over their populations are the people who are going along to support it. And I, as someone who is very, very distrustful of government just innately, I expect them to try to do these type of things. It doesn't matter the party. When it comes to government, I just, I don't trust that they have my best interests at heart. Neither should you. What's shocking, though, is, is the amount of, I, I'm sorry, but bootlickers out there that are more than happy to surrender their and your freedoms uh, 
in the name of protecting you from, again, a disease that has a 99 plus percent survival rate. Uh, we have an example of that here. This is from the Post Millennial. They say prominent professor cheers on arrest of Canadian protesting lockdowns. So a Canadian political science professor who specializes, get this, who specializes in charter rights and constitutional law praised the arrest of a Toronto man trying to save his restaurant from the effects of the government imposed lockdown. I, I am not surprised by this because I know the type of people that thrive in university settings, but just ask yourself, is this the type of person that you want teaching you about what your, your freedoms are and are not? Is it the type of person that you want teaching your children about what the government is and is not allowed to do to you? I know the answer for me is heck no, but this is exactly what academia has become. And it's really ironic that these are exactly the same type of people who who call Trump a fascist. Meanwhile, they're literally cheering on uh, fascistic attempts to control every aspect of their citizens' lives. So here is what he said in response to the video showing, uh, I think, Skelly's arrest. This professor wrote about time, actively helping spread the disease, defying public health order in the middle of the pandemic. These things harm others. Anyone who calls themselves libertarian should recognize that this falls squarely in the appropriate limits of freedom. Okay, this man is a professor of political science and he also thinks that being able to arrest restaurant owners for operating falls under the realm of libertarianism. This should shock and concern all of us. And actually, the, the article does clarify that McFarlane, who, by the way, uh, teaches at the University of Waterloo, falsely stated that Skelly is actively helping spread the disease because, as they write, no cases of coronavirus have been reported thus far as a consequence of the restaurant-defying pa pandemic-related lockdown orders. Wash your hands. If you're sick, stay home. Or if you must go out, wear a mask. I support that 100%. But if we actually look at what these lockdown orders are, I think you'll find that so many of them seem completely arbitrary, right? I mean, you can go shopping at the grocery store, but you can't sit down at a restaurant. Does that make sense? Uh, you can have, I think, where I'm at, uh, I think four days of seeing families over the holidays. What? Because what, five days would be too much of a risk for coronavirus. And, you know, we can't go to restaurants and sit with each other, but I'm allowed to have, I think it, the number is 25 people at the wedding that I'm trying to plan right now, which by the way, if you, if you don't like planning a wedding, planning a wedding during coronavirus is even worse. These things aren't backed up by science and it's like the whole thing where when you had when you were able to go to restaurants here at least you had to wear a mask up until the point where you sat down to eat this is not science this is dogma and i think it's dogma being presented as science as a form of control and if you're someone who is hearing about this thinking ah well that's okay that's that's just canada they are already crazy leftists it's not just canada where this is happening this is happening in the uk definitely as well i would say even worse than canada australia don't even get me started on what's going on there, but it's it's also happening in the U.S., one of the places where you would think there would be still some semblance of freedom, even in the face of such a mild, mild flu-like uh, flu -like illness. So we have here over uh, Thanksgiving, week Thanksgiving weekend, which by the way, uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of my American viewers. Uh, apparently in Vermont, you are not allowed 
supposedly not allowed or not advised to go and see your relatives. So much so that now the governor of Vermont is instructing schools to, quote, interrogate students about family Thanksgiving gatherings once they return to school. And after reading more about it, the reason why is that they think that if you were with family over the weekend who you don't live with, that you should have to, uh, your student or even the parents, quarantine for two weeks, not go to school and instead participate online. Or if you're willing to take a COVID test, then you only need to quarantine for one week. So this is very concerning behavior because, I mean, it literally speaks to fascist and totalitarian tendencies, right? There's this concept called atomization. Uh, Hannah Arendt, I think, is the one who originally wrote about it. But it's, it's this method of these authoritarian regimes where they try to chip away at the bonds that exist between family members and between neighbors and communities. And the the goal there is to weaken your connection to the people around you and strengthen your connection to the state. And I mean, by getting teachers to try and have their students essentially rat out on their parents and family members, that's exactly what this is. Like, this is not justifiable, again, for something that has a 99 plus percent survival rate. There have been in the past and recent years uh, pandemics or illnesses that were just as serious or heck even more serious, things like SARS, H1N1, and we didn't take these types of precautions. It never even occurred to us. So I really, if you are someone who thinks that all of this is justified, I, I challenge you to question why that is, why it's okay now, but it wasn't deemed necessary back then. And to all the people saying, oh, but all of these deaths look into uh, really the number of people who die every year from the flu, from car accidents, and just things like that. There is a certain amount of risk that is inherent in living your day-to-day life. And I mean, I I think it's one of the founding fathers that said those who would trade uh, freedom for security deserve neither. And I don't know, I've said this in our, our last episode, I don't know how I can keep defending when Western cultures as, you know, these these bastions of morality and freedom when we keep doing stuff like this, when we drag people away in handcuffs for opening their restaurants. Uh, there was recently a clip of a teenager who essentially got choked out for not wearing a mask. I think that was in Australia. This, this is dystopian. And we have let this happen so quickly and with so little pushback. Oh, goodness. Uh, uh, in other news, though, there was also, I guess, a, a liberty win in, of all places, New York. So Cuomo there, he tried to restrict religious gatherings because of the pandemic. But of course, uh, you know, there's a little thing called the First Amendment that kind of forbids anything that would do that. So the Supreme Court, uh, you know, with Barrett and Gorsuch, Kavanaugh and my man, Clarence, uh, they did rule that this was unconstitutional. And a lot of people on the left, authoritarians who are all for this great reset restructuring of society, they were not happy with that. And this is something I really thought you all needed to hear. So this person, Jen Perelman, who of course is a blue checkmark on Twitter, she said the Supreme Court 5-4 decision to allow religious gatherings amid COVID all but eradicates separation of church and state. What? She says the virus will continue to spread and many more will die needlessly. Majority vote was cast by Justice Barrett, my girl, Justice Kagan dissent below. So here's the thing. I hear the term separation of church and state thrown around a lot by people who 
don't understand what it means. Allowing people to practice their religion, for example, by gathering to worship together, uh, does not mean that religion controls the government. Actually, it's it's the opposite. It means that there is a separation between church and state and that the government does not control the state. And you know what? The separation of church and state, that line doesn't actually appear in the Constitution. And, you know, the reason why it was even coined in the first place was not as some people uh, assume to prevent the establishment of a state religion, but it was actually to make sure that the government did not interfere in church matters. So, I mean, people like this, they just don't know what they're talking about. This person had more ignorance to spout off on uh, social media. She said, religious institutions should now pay taxes since separation of church and state no longer exists. Again, that is not at all what this ruling means. And she said, to all conservative dissenters, you are free to practice religion where you dwell and in place of worship without reprisal so long as your practice does no harm to people of the state. Isn't it convenient then that we have now entered a paradigm where merely gathering, just gathering together is deemed harmful for others. So it's pretty much he's saying you can worship in your place of worship as long as there's actually no one else there. So i.e. you can't actually do this by spreading COVID. You are infringing upon my personal freedom. Okay, but you're really, you're really not because, you know, the First Amendment guarantees the right to practice your religion and to peaceably assemble, which these people are doing. You don't have a right to not be near people who might or might not give you what is very, very similar to the flu. That that just doesn't exist. And it's crazy because the people who are writing stuff like this and the people who, you know, as crazy as it seems, were calling uh, the police to talk about their neighbors having parties for Thanksgiving. These are exactly the type of people who, I hate to say it, but went along uh, with the horrible things that the Nazi did because they thought they were on the right side of history, even as they were turning in their neighbors and surrounding surrendering their freedoms. And I think it's disgusting. And I don't think things are going to get better once the vaccine was out. We've already seen people like Fauci say, oh, well, just because a vaccine is there doesn't mean things will get back to normal. Um, this is bad. This is really bad. I think these people have used COVID as an excuse to grab power. And I think unless something is drastic is done, um, they are not going to surrender it. All right, but moving on to something, I guess, a little bit less serious, a group in McGill at McGill University, which is in Quebec, another Canadian story, they have, uh, I guess, voiced their desire to form a white student union, much to uh, the dismay of uh, essentially everyone on that university campus. Before we get into that, though, I would like to tell you all about our sponsor, Bambi. So when running a business, HR issues can kill you. Things like wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and more. And HR manager salaries aren't cheap, by the way. They can average about $70,000 per year, but Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, -E, was created specifically for small businesses. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all starting at just $99 per month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they can customize your policies to fit your business specifically and help you manage your employees day-to-day, -day. again, all starting at just $99 
$99 per month. Month to month, no hidden fees, plus you can cancel anytime you want. Odds are you did not start your business because you wanted to spend a ton of time on HR compliance. So let Bambi help you and get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash Chen right now to schedule your free HR audit. Again, that's Bambi.com slash Chen, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Chen. All right. So if you have ever been to university or college, if you're in the US, I don't exactly know what the difference is there. Uh, but you'll have probably seen things like the Indian Student Union, the Black Student Union, the Asian Student Union, but it, it may not have missed your your uh, your notice that they're usually and I mean almost never, is a white student union. I think that really feeds into the idea that is being pushed by the Marxist left um, that whites are an oppressive force and that racial identitarianism is a good thing unless you are white. Uh, well, one group is actually challenging this notion. As the Montreal Gazette reports, posters have been put up on McGill's downtown Montreal campus advertising a white students union. For anyone not familiar, McGill is one of the most famous universities in Canada and it is one of the most highest rated. So they say they feature a link to the website of Students for Western Civilization, which previously put up similar signs at Ontario universities and claimed in a blog post this week that it was forming a McGill branch. At present, there is little, if any, evidence that any McGill students are involved, that a branch exists, or that this is anything more than a stunt. In a statement, Student Society of McGill University Vice President Brooklyn Frizzle said the group is not recognized or affiliated by the student union. She said, although we have not received any application for official status or recognition, we can say with all certainty that these messages do not align with the values of the SSMU. All right, so I want to just put it out here that I am, I guess, an egalitarian in the most basic sense when it comes to stuff like this. I think if you want to have a group based on racial identity, which I'm not in support of, but I think if you do, then you need to recognize the ability of other people to do the exact same thing. So I, I don't support the formation of a white student group, just like I don't support the formation of a black student group. But I do think that if you're going to have the black student group, it is just simply hypocritical to not have the white student group. And, you know, with this, I think it is fair to say it's a stunt since there's no, uh, no evidence that the, these people actually are affiliated with the university. I think at the very least, this is a useful story because it illustrates the pure hypocrisy that exists in academia and just in left wing, wing circles in general when it comes to the issue of race. And, uh, you know, I don't really know a lot about this group, Students for Western Civilization, but I actually went to their website to check out the posts they released about this student group. And, uh, this is a little bit of what it says. Through Canadian universities, students are indoctrinated with messages such as that all white people are racist. That is true. That only white people can be racist. That is true. Universities do say that. That white societies are necessarily white supremacist societies. That is a very common talking point uh, at universities nowadays. It says that white people invented the concept of race and thereby invented racism itself. That white people are privileged and our status, wealth, property can therefore be justifiably appropriated. That is absolutely a thing I've heard argued. And it also says that white people are uniquely fragile. Okay, so in, in my opinion, again, I, I'm not condoning the group, but what they are listing here 
is accurate. This is the type of discourse that is being taught at university campuses really all over the world, not just in Canada, not just in the US, not just in the UK. And they also say that any affirmative expression of white people's identity or whiteness should be oppressed and destroyed. I mean, we're seeing this right now with the, uh, the strong opposition to the formation of this group. And just, you know, again, I am not condoning this, but if you were to say, I want to start an Asian students union or a Pacific Islander students union or whatever other racial group it would be, uh, there would not be any pushback. Actually, odds are if your university is appropriately progressive, there would be a huge amount of support for it. So they say it's our position that ideas and statements like this constitute hate propaganda. And actually the website goes into how they believe that this stance toward white people uh, defies Canada's anti-hate speech law which I think there is a good a good argument to be made for. But again, they are assuming that progressives, and I include Canadian law really under this, uh, believe that white people should be treated the same as non-white people, which they don't. They don't believe in equality like that. They say anti-white hate speech is able to survive within the academy only because it is sheltered from scrutiny. While modern university culture may feign the trappings of detached objective scholarship, in reality, the contemporary study of race relations is a partisan, disingenuous endeavor, which is uh, undisturbed by criticism and perspectives beyond those of the far left. I agree with that. Here's what, where I disagree with them. They say that's why we need white students unions. So I disagree with them there that the best way to combat this type of attitude is by forming a white students union. Uh, the first reason I disagree with this is because if you look at the breakdown, the vast majority of white college students will side with the Marxists, not with the white students union, right? So they're assuming that all of these ideological concerns are based on race when they're not. It's not like it's you know, white people versus non-white people. It's literally the progressives versus, you know, and it's not just the progressives versus white people. It's progressives versus anyone who's not white. Because as I have seen more than enough times as someone who is biracial, not being white doesn't protect you from progressive just vitriol if you're going against them. So I think the better way, the actual way to combat this growing tide of anti-whiteness on college campuses isn't by, you know, playing into their racial identitarianism, into their collectivism by forming white student unions. It's by pushing back against their this whole paradigm, this whole idea that race should be our defining factor, this whole idea that we must, uh, you know, group together with people who look like us instead of people who think like us. Uh, there, there are plenty of non-white students out there that I'm sure would love to push back against, you know, this this regressiveness we see coming from college campuses, even though they themselves are not white. And that is a point I've tried to argue so much on the show is that you don't need to be part of a group to advocate for the rights of those groups. I've always hated it when, for example, feminists say the law can't be appropriately uh, feminist because not enough politicians are women. I think that's BS. And I also think it's BS to say that you need to be white yourself to advocate for, quote, white interests, or at the very least, not hating white people. They also say, Canadian universities like McGill have many ethnicity-based student groups, undeniable fact, but none which defend the special interests of white students. I would also push back here and say that the interests of white students are not so different than the interests of non-white students. I think if you're a student, I mean, one of your most core interests should be freedom of speech on campus and the ability, regardless of your race, uh, to be treated uh, based on merit. 
So I think that applies just as much if, if you're a white student or an Asian student, which we know is another group that universities and academia in general love to discriminate against. So they say white student unions are necessary to advocate for the interests of that ethnic group towards whom expressions of hatred are not only tolerated, but promoted by our universities themselves. Foremost among these those interests is establishing and maintaining a culture of free speech and intellectual diversity to ensure that anti-white pseudo-scholarship pseudo is met with sound counter-arguments. Again, I support, uh, you know, cultures of free speech, intellectual diversity, and pushing back against anti-white pseudo-scholarship. I just don't think you need a white student union to get it. But you know, hey, at the very least, I do appreciate that these people are pointing out the double standard because I think that absolutely needs to happen. And I also want to take this opportunity to say and kind of make this distinction that even though I think that racial identity groups are kind of BS. I don't feel the same way about cultural heritage groups. And actually, I think those can kind of be cool. For example, when I was in high school for a time, I was in Singapore and I went to a Canadian international school over there. And, you know, there was a very large Indian population, including a lot of my friends. And because so many of my friends were in this group, I actually did myself join the Indian Culture Club. And I ended up playing uh, Princess Sita in the Diwali play, which was an amazing time and I love Indian food and it was great to learn about the culture. I had a really fun time doing it and I never felt anything less than welcome there even though I myself wasn't racially Indian and it was just a fun way for me to get to learn about the culture and there were you know other Caucasian students and Korean students. It was just a way to learn about this heritage and I think clubs like that are a lot of fun and I would love to see more clubs that have that goal of sharing culture and heritage. Uh, you know I would love to see uh, British clubs, Polish clubs, you know, any type of club that encourages uh, understanding culturally of how other people live. I think the world would be a better place if we understood each other more. Now, when I went to university, there was an Indian club at USC, which is where I did my freshman year. And me and my roommate, who also loved Indian culture and who was white, we tried to join it because I told her about my awesome experience uh, at the Indian culture club when I was in high school. But when we went to the Indian club at this university, we were turned away because we weren't racially Indian. So th there's a big difference in these two clubs there. One is, yeah, essentially a segregationist racial identity group. The other one is something that is open for everyone and I think actually increases, uh, you know, coming together and acceptance versus trying to drive a wedge between people. And I'm not someone who believes that culture and race are the same because they're simply not. And I think we can embrace one without trying to focus too much on the other. But I would love to hear what you all think about this issue specifically, because I do think that if the left wants to keep pushing the idea of racial identity down people's throats and collectivism and, you know, black identity, this Hispanic identity, this really it's only an amount of time, in my opinion, before white people start thinking, oh, well, us too. Right? You, you can't say racial identity is okay for all of these other groups while still maintaining white people can't do it. And if you ask me, it's exactly this type of this type of thinking that led to the creation of the alt-right. But I, I want to hear what you all think. All right. So now let's talk about un-Thanksgiving. So for all of my American friends, this uh, this past Thursday was Thanksgiving. I know COVID has really changed a lot of people's plans, but however you celebrated it, or even if you didn't celebrate it, I, I hope that, uh, that you had a good weekend, that you were able to maybe at least take a little bit of a break and, you know, reflect upon what is still good about this year. 
personally, there's been a lot, a lot of ups and downs, but I think, you know, things are looking up. Hopefully we won't be in this strange part of our lives for too much longer. Uh, one group that celebrated Thanksgiving in a very strange way was YouTube. So they thought this was the perfect time to post about something called Unthanksgiving, which we're going to be talking about. Uh, first, though, I do want to let you all know about our sponsor, Newcom. So dealing with stress is a daily struggle, especially nowadays. And I personally have tried tons of different strategies to help me manage daily stress, uh, things like meditation, special teas, just lavender, everywhere and on everything. But the one thing that I think has really worked for me so far is Newcom. So I especially have problems falling asleep at night, winding down and things like that, getting my mind off of everything I need to do. And Newcom, it's become really such an important part of my nightly routine, just making sure that I am able to fall asleep and get some rest. So no matter what life throws at you, Newcom will reduce your stress level. So now instead of the day owning you, you can own the day. Newcom is the only stress management system of its kind, clinically proven in over 1 million sessions to improve your sleep, reduce your stress, and boost your recovery without, and this is really cool, without drugs and side effects. The Newcom system uses cutting-edge neuroscience and consists of three non-invasive and non-pharmaceutical items, all of which are included in your monthly subscription that costs less than a daily cup of coffee. The whole process is easy to use and to work into your daily routine to re achieve better sleep, reduction in stress, and boost in recovery recovery. Do what I did. Own the day with Newcom. We have a special link set up specifically for our listeners. Go to laurennewcom.com and get 50% off your 30-day subscription of Newcom and their money-back guarantee. That's laurennewcalm.com, laurennewcalm.com. All right. So let's talk about YouTube. Now, YouTube is one of those big tech Silicon Valley platforms that likes to pretend that it's, you know, it's very neutral. It's just a platform, definitely not a publisher. So, so try not to sue them because section 230, but Although they say stuff like this, if you look at the type of content that official YouTube accounts put out, you'll see it is extremely, extremely partisan. And you don't need to be a right-wing conspiracy theorist to look at what they're putting out and say, Okay, you guys seem to be pushing a very specific narrative and, you know, some one area where this was so clear was when they posted this thread to their official social media account and their main social media account. So they wrote, for Indigenous and Native Americans, the fourth Thursday of November is dedicated to Indigenous history, activism, and resistance. It's called Unthanksgiving. Okay, so the first thing I want to say here is that even this framing is strange, right? Uh, for most Native Americans, Thanksgiving is still Thanksgiving. And, you know, Indigenous and Native Americans, they're not a people with a unified belief system. So it's weird that YouTube is saying essentially, yeah, if, if you're Native American, this is what this day means to you. I'm sure there are plenty of Native American people who've never even heard of on Thanksgiving. Uh, goodness, the, the amount of, I guess bigotry that is displayed when so many of these like progressive outlets talk about non-white people it's it's really mind-boggling yeah have you noticed they don't treat them as independent people capable of making their own decisions and stuff like, like they love to treat them as a monolith but anyway it gets worse they say unthanksgiving is about acknowledging 
educating and honoring centuries of indigenous resistance, coinciding with New England's National Day of Mourning, on Thanksgiving activates Alcatraz Island, the site of a 19-month occupation by Bay Area natives in 1969. This is not at all uh, related to this, but actually when I was a teenager, I visited Alcatraz and it was really cool. And this was back before San Francisco was so much of a homeless feces-covered hellhole, so can't recommend it now. But back then, it was a good time. They continue, for generations, Native Americans and indigenous persons have shared their experiences using UnThanksgiving as an opportunity for intergenerational and intercultural dialogue. Okay, so this is where it gets kind of strange because obviously one of the, the biggest contentions over Thanksgiving is the, the way that European settlers and colonizers, as they're called, came in to North America and really disrupted a, a lot of Native American lives that way. Uh, the, the way that these people talk about history, you would, you would assume that before Europeans came over, that the rest of the world, including Native Americans, were just living harmoniously together. They're there was no such thing as war, no such thing as conflict. Everyone was just like in this communist utopia where, where they would, you know, swim with the fish and talk to birds and things like that. That's just not accurate. And if you actually understand history, you'll know that plenty of Native American tribes were in conflict with each other. There existed, uh, you know, historical alliances between, for example, French and Native American tribes against the British and things like that. It's not as clear cut as whitey bad Native American Good. No, not at all. And I think it's also an exaggeration to say, uh, you know, that, that the experience of the European colonizers has affected every single Native American or indigenous person's life right now, because that is also simply not the case. And the way that, you know, the left is currently painting this whole issue of Thanksgiving, and this comes up every single year, it really is a gross oversimplification, I think, to instill guilt uh, guilt upon those who are of European descent and resentment among those who are not toward the Europeans, which which is so, so, so crazy. I mean, you know, history is filled with the the tale of conquest and submission by different cultures, but it's only Europeans who are being, you know, kind of made to feel guilty about what their ancestors have done. It's, it's no other group, if you notice. They also say generations before have lived on these lands. Days like on Thanksgiving are opportunities for learning and understanding whose land you live on. It's weird when they talk about Native Americans, how they almost take on like this ethno-nationalist blood and soil rhetoric. Like these are their lands. All right. You, you can't say that about Europeans, though. You can't say that, like, the UK belongs to the ethnically, racially British, and that's their lands. But when it comes to Native Americans, they all of a sudden, it's a very, very different tone, right? It's all open borders, migrants, good, except for when it was, you know, white people coming over. Then that's essentially a genocide. There's, there's a definite double standard there. One more, it says, Unthanksgiving is about honoring Native American and Indigenous heritage to better understand this history. How are you connected to and connecting with Indigenous heritage and history where you live? Okay, so I don't have any problem with learning more about Indigenous history and heritage. And actually, you know, as someone who was born in Canada, I think the history of Indigenous people here is something that Canadians should learn more about. It is, some, it is something that is uniquely Canadian a huge part of our Canadian cultural heritage. I think we should learn more about it in schools. And I, I love exploring cultures like that. What 
bothers me so much about this is a the, the the way that it's being presented in opposition to Thanksgiving, right? UnThanksgiving. Thanksgiving is supposed to be about gratitude and coming together. That is something that Native American people celebrate as well. This is just another way to pit racial groups against each other, which is really disappointing, especially when, you know, of all holidays, Thanksgiving should be a time when people come together. And But just the name on Thanksgiving, you know exactly what they're trying to do and why YouTube is writing about this in the first place. I really, really have no idea. But this is this is pretty par for the course for them. They've also done these other like creator spotlights where they will spotlight, you know, some sort of LGBT plus activists about their non-binary experience and things like that. And look, if you are someone who is kind of against the the, the position that big tech has too much control over the mainstream conversation, just ask yourself, do you want people who promote stuff like UnThanksgiving control over every little thing you read and watch and say? Because I know I sure as heck don't. I, I feel like Thanksgiving will forever remain a point of contention among America's left and the rest of people. Thanksgiving and Columbus Day. Um, I, I guess that's pretty much all we have to say for now, although I did want to give a quick election update. Uh, right now, there is a lot going on with the certification in PA, which a judge has blocked. Sydney Powell has, I guess, released her Kraken. Stay tuned for more updates on the situation as it unfolds. But with all of this, you know, I have had people asking why I don't go more in depth. Guys, truth is, I am not a lawyer. A lot of this stuff, I am I am just like the rest of you trying to figure out what the heck is happening. But I will reiterate that until the electors vote on, I think it's December 14th, this thing is not over. So like, I'm not saying Trump will win. I'm not saying Biden will win. But just keep an eye out on the situation so that when something does happen, you're not too shocked by it. Uh, that's pretty much all I have to say for now, though. And as always, I will see you next time. Take care.